Welcome to the Unqualified Sports <laughs> Show for September 5th, 2020. I am your host, Nate Snitka, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Forrest James. Hello. So we start today with the Boston Bruins, who were eliminated in Game 5 of their second round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning by a final score of 3-2 to two in overtime. Uh, man, this this game was tough to watch. Um, they could not get anything by uh, the, the Vasilevsky, the, uh, the, the Lightning goalie. And it's not like they didn't take shots. They basically had one point had basically at one point through the, the first overtime, they had doubled the shots against Tampa Bay um, that Tampa Bay had, had taken on Boston. And, uh, man, like, Vasilevsky just wasn't letting anything in. Um, I, I don't know really what else to say about this. They managed to get a couple of goals. Uh, or they managed to get one goal early. They were able to tie it up with minutes to go uh, at the end of the third with a David Krejci shot to, to be able to take it to overtime. But they looked, they looked honestly kind of slow uh, in overtime. They, they really just it looked like the fatigue had sort of caught up to them. They were really unable to get any, any scoring in this series from the, the third and the fourth lines. And they ran into a Tampa team that is, very, very deep. Um, I really don't know what to say about this one. They were missing some players in this one, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, obviously, you know, um, David Pasternak still didn't look great after uh, his particular injury uh, earlier this this postseason. But they, they really did not. I mean, they had looked so good against Carolina in the first round. You sort of thought that they would be able to carry it over. And, that, you know, it aside from the first game where they looked really good, they were really unable to make much in the way of headway. Um, I have to say, their weakness was not Halak. Uh, I've heard a couple of people mention that they thought that Halak, you know, things might have been different with Rask in that, and I, I wholeheartedly disagree. Aside from Game 3, when they got absolutely steamrolled and Halak got pulled anyway, this was really a problem of scoring. Uh, they never uh, they never were able to, to get um, more than two goals in any of the four games that they lost in the, in the five game series. And they won the first game three to two in overtime. So this was really a, a problem with them not being able to get the puck into the net, which was um, exactly their problem last year too. Yeah. And really it comes down to the fact that they have a very, very, very good top line. They have a pretty good second line, and their third and their fourth lines really are just not producing at the levels that they need to. Uh, and, man, that's going to be a challenge for this team to figure out. You know, um, they already have to figure out what to do with Tory Krug, who was a real big part of their success in the first round. His ability to move the puck on offense was really what gave them the edge in a couple of situations against uh, Carolina. They don't know whether or not they're going to have his name on Chara back. Chara has not decided whether or not he's going to return. Although I have to be honest with you, I, I, I think that he feels like he's still playing at a high enough level. It wouldn't surprise me that he, if he did return. But that also means that they're going to be, you know, they're dealing with a flat cap and they're going to have some people to sign and that's going to be difficult for them to do. Uh, and if they can't sign them, in the case of somebody like Tory Tory Krug, they're going to have to be able to replace them. So. This was a tough one to watch because it really did feel like maybe their window isn't closed, but it does kind of feel like they're on the tail end of the window with this this current group. You know, um, Marchand is now over 30. 
you know, obviously is Daniel Char is 43. Patrice Bergeron is, I think, 36 at this point. Like, you know, time, unfortunately, is undefeated. And while they've, they've gone deep with this group before, I, they're sort of reaching the limits of being able to keep it together financially, particularly when you consider the fact that COVID has, has screwed up everyone's cap projections so much from where it was when a lot of these contracts were signed a few years ago. You know, a lot of these contracts were signed with the understanding that there was going to be more cap space available. If that's not true, then either they're going to have to move people to make room or people are going to have to take, you know, uh, team friendly deals. And that gets dicey. Um, they, I will say, I mean, Krug has been very positive about wanting to stay in a Boston uniform. So it's possible that he takes some kind of a bridge deal to, uh, you know, to, to get himself back to a situation where, the cap goes up again, but it's it's going to be tricky with this group. Uh, we had a scare from Chris with Chris Wagner, uh, who was unable to play in um, game four of the series. Uh, he As he sat on the Boston bench, apparently he basically suffered uh, what amounted to an extremely out-of-control heartbeat, uh, and he was eventually diagnosed with atrial fibrillation uh, and kept out of game five. So this is a real scary situation for a guy who is, is not that old. Chris Wagner is, you know, a, a pretty young guy and to have him have, uh, you know, have to worry about uh, heart stuff is uh, it's a real scare. Um, this does happen surprisingly often in hockey. And I, I kind of wonder why that is. Uh, you may remember that Rich Peverly, who was part of the 2011 Boston championship team, basically was forced to retire after having his heart basically stop during a game during his time with the um, the Dallas Stars. And that was a similar situation where he just ended up with a, a runaway heartbeat and he ended up having a, a cardiac arrest on the, on the bench. Um, I would imagine that there will be some fallout from this uh, over the, the offseason. But at this point, I don't even know how long the offseason is going to be. So I guess we'll find out how long that's, uh, that, that's going to be later on. Um, Wagner says he's going to get some tests done this upcoming week, but apparently he doesn't think there will have any long-term effects uh, and hopes that it was a one-time thing. I got to be honest with you, bud. Like that says to me that one of two things happened, either that you were in the bubble doing something that you weren't supposed to, which seems highly unlikely, or that this is a condition that you're probably going to have to manage for the rest of your life. So it wouldn't surprise me to find out that there's some more news that comes out about this uh, prior to the, to the, to the next season. Uh, last, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the David Pasternak injury. You may remember that he missed three games of the Carolina series. Um, he did return for game five in that series, and he did play in all five of the games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, but apparently was just not playing pretty well. He had a, uh, or particularly well. Uh, he did notch a couple of assists in this one, but apparently was fighting a leg injury pretty much the entire time, which if you were watching him was not terribly surprising. Pasternak was nowhere near as fast as he has been on the ice in the past. Um, you know, the good news is that he is still a pretty young guy and will have the opportunity to heal up and get himself ready for, for next season. But the amount to which that it, it, it hobbled this group's ability to score on Tampa was actually kind of frightening to me. Um, because really, with Pasternak not playing at, at his best, it really meant that they were able to focus a little bit more on Marchand and, uh, and Bergeron. Uh, and if that line's not not clicking, it does seem like this team has some real problems scoring. So that'll bear some that'll you know that'll bear some additional attention as we go into next season as well. 
Any uh, any comments that you want to put forward on the uh, the end of the Bruins season? How are we feeling about uh, the coach there, about Cassidy? I have to be honest with you. I feel fine about him. I really don't feel like he was put in a situation where there was anything that he did particularly wrong. I do say I will say that you know Cassidy has gotten them to a Stanley Cup final. He has gotten them to the postseason pretty much every year that he has been their their head coach. This really did feel like a, situ- a situation where they were hobbled by Pasternak's injury and, frankly, by the fact that their defense was not playing particularly well. The one thing that I think that you can criticize them for is it really did not feel like they were taking the the, uh, the round-robin you know, situation seriously. And that's yeah. a ser- situation where they could have postponed this uh, this meeting with the Tampa Bay Lightning until – you know, potentially the Eastern Conference Final if they had played up to the level that we, we that we would come to expect. But by the same token, like I don't know what you're expected to do if you're if you're um, you know the the coach in this particular case. You are coming into a locker room that is dominated by the veteran presence of five guys who were there well before you were, and who you know many of which actually have a Stanley Cup together. Something that you have never managed to accomplish. You know, if you go into that locker room, there is no way that your voice is going to be louder than Chara and Bergeron and Marshawn but and Krejci. That's you, just not going to happen. You're the coach, though. It should automatically be louder and bigger. Yeah, I don't I understand. Mean, expect, I don't understand but... any coach that allows the players to start dictating what happens in the in the locker room or on the field or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, by all accounts, that he's gotten well along pretty well with them, and I have to say that. Yeah. I don't think that it's the case that they tuned him out in this particular case. I do feel like that when you have as old a core as the Bruins did, it took them a lot longer to get up to speed than it might have otherwise. And that, I don't know that what you do about that in this particular situation. This is not a situation where you had a full-on training camp leading up to the beginning of the season or had a regular season that led straight into the postseason. I, I get, but a lot of this really just did feel like rust when it came to the first round. But we, but we were told that these players wanted to play hockey and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, and then the Bruins got in there and they're flat and the coach can't do anything to get them to motivate and actually try during the round robin. I mean, yeah, that, I, I mean, that is a legitimate criticism that, that I think could be hung on both of them as it comes down to it. I mean, I do. I think that Tampa is the best team left in in the postseason at this point. So I think yeah. losing to Tampa is not necessarily the condemnation that it might have been in years past. Tampa, for once in their freaking existence, looks like they are actually prepared for postseason play. And if that's the case, with the amount of money they're spending and the fact that they basically have this year and that's it because of the the way that their caps, that their is, stuff is structured, Losing to Tampa doesn't bother me nearly as much as them coming out flat in the round robin series did. So I don't know. We'll see. I also kind of question the whole scoring seems to disappear during the postseason or, yeah, during the postseason. I mean, I will say this, which is that scoring is generally down in the postseason, in part because the refs tend to swallow the whistle. And let me tell you, the NHL has had some atrocious officiating. I have to say, I mean, there wasn't anything that was exceptionally atrocious in the series between Tampa and Boston. But as a rule, the the officiating has been about as bad as I've seen it this postseason. So, uh, you know, that probably didn't help them either. They spent very little time on the power play in, in, in any of the games that they lost against Tampa. 
and I don't know whether or not that's because, you know, the, the rest felt like Tampa was playing clean or if they thought that, you know, that Boston was trying to embellish. But it was clearly a problem. The, the power play disparity between these two teams, I think, is one of the major reasons they had the problems that they did. And that ridiculous loss that they took, that 7-1 loss in Game 3, I think that there was something like 25 minutes out of 60 minutes they ended up being on the penalty kill. You know, it's it's hard to ask any team to do that and and come out well. You know, I, this is one of those seasons I think where they're going to go back and take a real hard look at why they lost this series as badly as they did, and just see if there's anything that they can look to improve. And I have to be honest with you, I really don't feel like coaching is a part of it. I think part of it is that they are constructed to be extremely top heavy, which is a you know a consequence of the fact that most of their salary is held by, you know, five or six guys that generally play on the top line of the top pairing. And that part of it is, frankly, bad luck. It really, I mean, a lot of this comes down to the fact that they shot a ridiculously low percentage in that Tampa Bay series. And part of that is the fact that Tampa learned to play defense after the last offseason. And part of the fact is that they just got astoundingly unlucky when it came to people, you know, jumping into lanes when you wouldn't expect them to. That that game, that game four should have been ended, it should have been over like three times in Boston's favor before Tampa Bay finally scored. Because Boston was getting legitimate chances and just stuff kept happening. They would hit a pipe. Or somebody would just barely manage to get a you know a, a stick blade in the way, or something else like that. And if they had gone to Game Six or Game Seven, I think people would feel a lot different about this series compared to where it ends if the, in you know it is after ending in Game Five, even though it took a double overtime victory for Tampa to be able to get there. You know, yeah, they played yeah. basically a game in two thirds in this one. I got it. But, I got it. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics. They lose an absolute heartbreaker on Thursday night, 104 to 103 on a last half second three-point shot by OG Ananobi. I don't know if you saw any of the highlights of this game, but the last minute of this game was bananas. Um, It was tied at 101 going into the final 21 seconds of the game. Boston manages to get just an amazing pass from Kemba Walker to Daniel Tice to be able to theoretically seal the game at 103-101. And with literally half a second left on the clock, Kyle Lowry manages to get an amazing pass to OG and an OB to be able to get a three-point shot to, to win the game. I mean, this was as crazy the end of a basketball game, I think, as I have seen where teams were playing well. Like, every once in a while you get, like, I don't know if you saw the highlights at the end of the, the Denver Utah series that was basically like watching the Keystone cops play against each other in the final minute of a game. It was all kinds of just incompetence. This was not that this is two teams that are playing at the height of their powers, really kind of vying for everything all the way down to less than a second left of the game to go. It was very storybookish. It really was like, I I don't think that you could script a, I, I think this is one of those games that, if you tried to script it into a movie that nobody would believe you. That's not to say that the Celtics didn't have some stuff that they could have dealt with. I mean, obviously Jalen Brown comes out after the game and says that, you know, he should have been in a different position so that the pass to, uh, to OG and an OB should have been contested more than it was. And there is a, a certain, you know, there's a certain thing saying that perhaps that he should be. But if you're talking about a half second miscommunication causing you to lose a playoff game, by one after you were up two games to nothing. 
I got to be honest with you. If you're going to lose a game, I know this really sucks, but I'd rather lose it like this than just have them not show up for game three because they feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. If absolutely. anything, I feel like this is likely to motivate this team even more going into the, fir- the, the third, uh, the fourth game in the series to be able to, to be able to, to seal this out as best they can. And I have to say like, the Celtics have in general looked like they are the better team in this series. And I didn't necessarily think that that was going to be true. In particular, Kemba Walker has been everything they could have asked for him to be not only in terms of his passing ability, but he's also had some really, really good shooting nights so far in the three games that we've seen so far, you know, Jalen Brown has been everything that you have hoped to be. Daniel Tice has been the I got to be honest with you, the fact that Daniel Tice has basically been the one of the best centers in the East this postseason makes me super happy and actually really sad because it means they're probably not going to be able to hang on to him at the end of the season. He's playing his way out of Boston by virtue of the fact they just won't be able to afford him. Um, he has been very, very good for them. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, it was, it was heartbreaking in the moment, but the more that I, I think about this game, the happier that I am, that if they had to lose a game, that it basically took an absolute circus shot with less than a second to go for them to be able to, uh, to be able to, you know, for, for Toronto to be able to come and win this game. Yeah. I don't think it's anything to really worry about. Mm-hmm. They seem to be the better team out of the two, honestly. And it took a, <sighs> basically a hail Mary moment to uh to win a game for the raptors they're 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 both good teams and i'm not going to give the raptors any crap about that but the the celtics have been playing very i don't know controlled basketball it seems i think they don't seem to be doing the crazy stuff they've definitely been playing up to their potential yes you know and there are times like particularly last season i did not feel like that was the case in any way shape or form they looked awful last postseason yes you know under Kyrie and that has that has just not been the case they have been you know they really feel like they have been making the most out of the opportunity that they're given which you know I am very very happy to to see all right let's move on uh smart Marcus Smart was fined for flopping in game two of the series he picked up a five thousand dollar fine uh, for basically embellishment on a couple of fouls that he was able to draw uh, throughout the game. However, none of those appeared on the two-minute report. There were some comments uh, from the, uh, Dar- uh, uh, Nick Nurse, the, um, the Toronto Raptors head coach, following game two about the way that the officiating had gone. Uh, but the final two-minute report, which is the additional investigation that uh, the NBA sometimes does on the end of a closed game to as to whether or not there were any fouls that should have been called was in fact clean. They, they did not make any determination that there should have been um, so additional fouls, fouls levied or that any of the fouls that were levied in the last two minutes were, uh, were unwarranted. Uh, I have to say, I mean, part of the reason why the, the free throw pers- uh, were so disproportionate is Jason Tatum was a maniac in game two. He really did just constantly cut to the inside anytime he was being challenged to the outside. And he drew a lot of fouls. He drew, I think, 14 fouls. He went to the line 14 times uh, in game two. So I can understand their frustration. But, you know, if you're going to foul the guy, he's going to take the shots. And and really, that's what it came down to. Uh, Smart, for his own part, 
uh, I don't think he's actually said anything about the fine, but truth be told, Smart seems like the kind of guy who kind of holds that sort of fine up as a as a good thing. Yeah, um, he's, because Smart really is kind of the guy who will do anything to win a playoff game. He flops all the time too. And I will say, Smart <laughs> was really really good in this one. I mean, he got he had five three pointers in this game. He led all uh, Celtics in uh, in, in three point shooting uh, in the last uh, quarter of the game. So, you know, I will say that like Marcus Smart is also sort of making his way into Celtics legend at this point, in part by just the insane things that he will do to win a game and showing up in big moments. I mean, he's been a very good player for them this postseason, um, both in this series and obviously in the previous one. Uh, the last thing I have for you on the Celtics is the injury report going into game four. Uh, we record on Saturdays, so this will uh, be played after the we record, but will have uh, been played by the time this comes out. Uh, four players appear on the injury report, three of them out. Uh, Javante, Green, Gordon, Hayward, and Vincent Poirier are all out. None of those are particularly surprising. They've been out the whole time. Uh, the new addition is Tremont Waters, who uh, basically is out with a left knee sprain, is questionable, I should say, with a left knee sprain. Of the th- four of these guys, obviously the one they would want the most is Gordon Hayward, who is almost certainly going to be out for the entire series. You may recall that he took a right ankle sprain in the beginning of the series against Philadelphia that will likely keep him out until the in, any possible subsequent round of the playoffs for the Boston Celtics. Uh, the game is scheduled for 6.30 after we record uh, tonight. So, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I would imagine, given that the uh, four games uh, remaining in the series should all have been played, I believe, if they happen uh, by the next time we record, that we'll be able to talk about the end of the series uh, uh, by the time we record uh, next time around. I will say that, you know, if the Celtics do manage to end this quickly, they're in a weird position where they could end up with a long time off. They could basically, because of the way that the, the bubble is going, because a lot of teams are going to seven and a lot of teams are going, you know, to, to shorter uh you know, shorter uh, conclusions than that. There's a possibility they could have up to a week off before any subsequent round three, uh, depending on how the other games in the East go. Let's move on to the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox split a doubleheader with the, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday in a weird situation where for the first time since 1912, they were considered to be the visiting team in their home ballpark. I don't think that's happened since the Boston Braves were in town. Um, they win three to two in game two after losing a very close game one to the Jays by a final score of eight to seven. Um, this is, I think, the kind of doubleheader that you like because I believe these were the seven inning doubleheaders uh, that they decided upon at the beginning of the season. You seem to like the shorter games. Am I correct in that regard? For uh, for the most part, yeah, for the most part. I will say that, like, broadcast-wise, it's a lot easier to deal with. I don't feel like I'm watching 12 straight hours of baseball, which, you know, I enjoy the occasional baseball game, but 12 hours of any sport, I think, is too much. Um, but we haven't gotten any... As, we haven't gotten uh, really into many of the doubleheaders yet, have we? I think this is the first one that they've had so far this season. Like I said, it was a weird situation where they were the first... It's the first time that they were considered to be the visitor in their home stadium since 1912. Right. Um, which I believe this means, because I believe that they're that's what they're doing with the doubleheaders, is that they're splitting them up so that one team is 
uh, the home and one is the visitor for each of the, the games. So, I think as to the standings, the Boston is still at the bottom of the AL East. Uh, they have moved to a record of 13 and 27, uh, putting them basically nine games back of the wild card. They're bad. They continue to be bad. They lost a bunch of players this week, which we might as well talk about. Um, the the Major League Baseball trade deadline was Monday. Um, we've talked about some of the moves that they made previous to this. They moved Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree on the 21st of August. They moved, uh, moved Mitch Moreland to the San Diego Padres for a couple of prospects on August 31st. That would have been after we recorded um, last Saturday. Right before the deadline on Monday, Kevin Pillar was traded to the Colorado Rockies. Um, Joss Osich was traded to the Chicago Cubs. Both of those were traded for players to be named later. None of the really popular players were moved. Jackie Bradley Jr., Matt Barnes, Christian Vazquez, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts were all rumored to be in trade deals at some point, but none of them were moved ahead of the deadline. Um, obviously, there is obviously the chance that one of them would be moved in the offseason, but for the time being, they remain members of the Boston Red Sox organization. Anybody that you desperately wanted to see go that didn't? I didn't have anybody that I desperately wanted to see go. I just wasn't attached. I just wasn't attached to anybody right now, yeah. so I was just like, yeah, whoever will go, whoever leaves, leaves. Because at this point, like they've all regressed. Yeah, it feels like a lost season entirely. Totally, so yeah. I, I'm 100 percent with you. I, I almost feel like it's it's been worse for them to play this farce of a season than it would have been to just not have a season. Like, I feel like it's damaged them. Yeah, I guess I can see that because, I mean, it does really feel like none of the, the Red Sox are really playing up to their potential. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last bit of news that I have for you is that Judy uh, Martinez came out and said that he would not want to be a free agent after the season. Uh, this is not particularly surprising. Um, I believe... Uh, that he does, cont- he has an opt-in at the end of the season. Um, you know, the the financial situation being as unstable as it is in Major League Baseball right now uh, with COVID, it doesn't particularly surprise me that he's not interested in being a free agent. Um, he says that he does love Boston and he loves playing there. Obviously, this is his worst season since 2013, um, but I, I suppose the hope is that he will be able to rebuild his uh, his game following this just absolute morass of a uh, of a Red Sox season. All right, uh, let's move on to the New England Patriots. Uh, probably the biggest bit of news is one that should surprise no one. Cam Newton was officially named uh, the starting quarterback on offense and offensive captain of the New England Patriots on Thursday this week. Uh, Patriots commemorated it with a a Twitter image. Um, he really, I mean, this should surprise absolutely no one. We talked last week, but the fact that uh, he was going to be considered, uh, or that he was going to be the, the starter, basically, you know, if not for no other reason, that you don't go out and get a guy like Cam Newton and hang on to him unless you're expecting him to be the starter. Um, there are a number of other captains that were named at the same time that he was. James White, David Andrews, uh, linebacker Jawan Bentley, uh, Lawrence Guy, Jason McCourty, and Devin McCourty and Matthew Slater were also named team captains for their various 
uh, parts of offense, defense, or special teams. So that'll be your group of captains going forward for this season. If you care about captains. Uh, we're real close. We are basically about a week away from the beginning of Patriot season. They start yep. week one uh, with the, with a game uh, against the Miami Dolphins on the 13th, which is just over a week from today. So are you excited for this upcoming season? Yeah, I finally get to make some more money. <laughs> that's that's gone, understandable. Gone I all summer without money, man. I meant more as a football fan is a financial oh, situation. Oh, I can understand that. Uh, um, I don't know how I feel about the Patriots this season. Um, they kind of lost everybody that was kind of talented. Uh, I mean, with some exceptions, White's still there and stuff like that. White's but, still there. Julian Edelman's still there. The McCordy twins are still there. But, like, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I mean, dream scenario, you know, Bucks versus Pats in the, in the Super Bowl. But um, I, I'm looking forward to football, actual football being played and an actual sport being played under its fairly normal conditions. I mean, obviously no crowds, but other than no that, crowds, you're, you're talking about a regulation field. But, like, um, uh, hopefully the rest of it will feel the same. I mean, they don't the, – when it comes to, like, tele, television, you don't typically see the crowd all that much. They've mm-hmm. they've stopped kind of showing shots of them, which I, I found kind of weird, by the way. Um, and on radio – the only thing I'm going to miss is the crowd noise, and I'm hoping for radio. This is going to be actually really interesting to me to find out. If they're going to do anything in the way of piping in any kind of noise, just to make it feel a little bit normal. Right. I mean, I have to say, like, it, that's been done to varying levels of success. There is crowd noise, artificial crowd noise, that's been pumped into the NHL games. And I have to be honest with you, like, it's been fine. Like, yeah. obviously, I don't, it doesn't feel quite the same. It's, it doesn't feel as organic. You don't get that, you know, moment of anticipation Reactions. before something happens yeah, in, the, yeah. in the same way that you do. It, it sounds like video game noise because it is, but just it being there has really made things, I think, a little bit feel a little bit more normal. So I really do hope that that's what they intend to do uh, but, is, is, you know, go to EA or somebody like that and, you know, get them to put their crowd noise into the game. I mean, if we could get Madden to actually call the games, that'd be kind of cool. Um, I mean, why not? <laughs> They've basically been running the same game back since 2017 at this point anyway. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to just actual sport being played under its normal conditions, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not not it's not three months after it should have ended, and they're still playing type situation. No offense, that they're actually going into a regular but, season that feels like a regular season. Yeah, and should not have like flow. baseball where they're basically having to make it up as they go. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's what I'm looking forward to most of all. As it comes to the season for the Patriots itself, I don't really have high hopes. I kind of think this is the year where we finally figure out that Brady was more important than we thought. Um, Man, I got to be honest. I don't with really you, though, like, like Cam. I don't really like Cam. So okay. I, I feel like they've got a decent shot to win the AFC East. Like the only other team that I think is even close to decent right now is Buffalo, and even them. I just do not trust Josh Allen in, in any way, shape, or form. Like, I get the idea that they put a lot of weapons around him to try to maximize his level of success. But I don't think that you can have somebody who's that inaccurate a passer and not have some real problems with turnovers. And so I guess we're going we're gonna to see. Like, I feel like they've got as much of a chance as anybody to, to make the playoffs in the AFC East. Certainly, I expect them to be better than the Jets. I, you know, I feel like that Miami is going to be a better team than people expect them to be this year. 
But by the same token, I just feel like there is something to be said for institutional inertia when you have no preseason to work with. Yeah. But these uh, these first, like, four games are going to be super sloppy, though. I think on, oh, it's going to be all it's be weird. Like, yeah, the first four games of the season is silly season anyway, just because you know it usually takes teams to get a, a little bit of time to get you know their their sea legs under them. The gel. God knows what it's going to look like right now because you have people who have basically only been in scrimmages together now under real playing conditions. And yeah, I mean, if you're a team like a Patriots where you've basically changed out almost the entire weird receiver core you've lost your uh offensive line coach and you have somebody at quarterback who was functionally out of the league the last two years it's gonna be weird but i do feel like they're a good enough organization that they can survive the first four weeks now if they can survive the first four weeks i think they've got as much chance as anybody yeah this uh this first game is going to feel very preseason-ish i i think yeah absolutely yeah absolutely all right, uh, we have a couple of roster moves to talk about. Probably the most prominent one happened yesterday. Mohamed Sanu was uh, basically cut by the Patriots. Uh, the 31-year-old wideout had been the subject of a trade in 2019, uh, trying to get Brady some more options at wide receiver. They actually gave up, I believe, a second-round pick to get him. Yep. He played only nine games for the Patriots, uh, finishing with 26 catches for 207 yards and a touchdown. So not exactly what they were hoping to get out of him. Yeah, I believe he, spent he sucked in all but the one. Time... What's that? I think he sucked in all but one of them. I think there was one where he – I think it was also his first first game as a Pat. Like everybody yeah, saw him and was like, hey, was pretty good. he, he looks like a good piece. His third game was just done. Yeah. Uh, apparently he went under under uh, he underwent surgery in the off season to repair the injury, uh, but was just not really making the impact in training camp that they expected. And so uh, Friday of this week they basically decided to part ways with him. Uh, it's going to be an interesting core going to, into the first season of whatever Cam Newton ends up doing in a New England Patriot uniform. Uh, Julian Edelman is obviously the most famous name that is there. Um, but the rest are basically all young players. You have Nikhil Harry, Gunnar Olszewski, Jake, Jacoby Myers. You have Demir Bird, Devin Ross, Jeff Thomas, who actually, now that I think about it, I think Jeff Thomas was actually cut this week. Um, although there's a possibility that he ends up getting re-signed. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. It's going to be a lot of names you've never heard before, at least going into the beginning of the season. Although I have to say... They still maintain a lot of cap space, so it would not surprise me to find out that they make a couple of significant signings after the roster is solidified. Um, I think very much like the beginning of last season, you'll see them play with the roster a little bit to bring in guys on like one or two year deals, particularly because they're one of the few teams that are going to have that cap space available, um, given that the cap is, is flat this season. Um, there were a number of other players that were released this week. Uh, I'm not going to go down the full list, but as previously mentioned, one of the people who was let go is Jeff Thomas, who was an undrafted wide receiver. Um, apparently he had some injury issues and there's a possibility he would be signed to the practice squad. I actually feel like he's likely to end up making the roster ultimately, because I think what they're going to do is in order to have somebody go on to injured reserve, they have to be on the roster during uh, on the first day of the 53-man roster. They can then be assigned to injured reserve, and then I think that once that happens, once they put the people there, that they will bring some of these players back onto the team. 
Uh, probably the most prominent name that was cut during cut down to day to day today was Lamar Miller, who we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they had signed him to a one year, $1.5 million deal. Um, he had previously had an ACL tear, but was looking to, uh, you know, be able to make his way onto an NFL roster. It appears that that is over. Uh, the article that I'm reading from MassLive.com seems to think that he will be signed to a practice, the practice squad. And I suppose that makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, if you're Lamar Miller and you do need some place to rehab, rehabbing on an NFL team's practice squad would be a good way to get yourself back into game shape for a subsequent attempt to come back in, a, in the, the next season. But man, that's got to be disheartening for a guy who was at one point considered to be one of the better running backs in the league. Anything else you want to talk about uh, before the start of the Patriot season? I realize we're going to have one more show before we actually have uh, yeah. the start of the Patriot season, although the NFL season, I believe, starts on Thursday this week. Are they doing the Thursday night game as a starter still? Well, that's a good question. I thought they were, but you know, now that I think about it, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% so sure about that either. Let me take a quick look. Uh, you know, I, I, like you, am definitely very interested in what's going to end up happening with the NFL this year. Um, ah, they start on Friday this year. Uh, okay. Texas at Chiefs is going to be uh, uh, is going to be a, a Friday night game. <laughs> sure, because Why are you sh- times in UTC. That's very strange. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, basically, uh, the Friday night game is going to kick us off uh, with Texans at Chiefs. And then the, all of the other games start on Sunday. Um, obviously, we're going to have two Monday night games and a Tuesday night game in week one. Uh, NFL really kind of sprawling out now that it doesn't really have to worry about high school football uh, being a thing. I Although it still is in New Hampshire, which I thought was a little strange. Those uh, those sports are going to start sooner rather than later, too. So I, I, Traditionally, I, I... one of the reasons that the NFL has not broadcasted on Friday night is that Friday night is usually the high school football game night, Saturday night is usually the college football game night, and then Sunday night is traditionally the professional football game night. But they're just going to spread out all over that schedule. I hope this means that they don't uh, continue doing that and playing games every day of the week, except for like Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Like that would, I mean, they that would get obnoxious. Kind of wanted to be the, the you know, the the all the time sports league for whatever reason. I mean, that's why they started giving us Thursday night games. The problem is, is that it takes so long for these guys to recover. Usually anything that's not on either Sunday night or Monday night is just terrible football. Like just awful. Thursday night games in particular have become kind of notorious the last couple of years for just really, really low levels of competitiveness and play. Yeah. 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 Let's move on to a little bit of national news. Um, we, I'm sort of keeping an eye on NCAA sports uh, as several leagues have canceled, but a number of them, including uh, the Big Ten and the ACC, have decided to try to keep doing uh, sports going forward. Uh, University of Maryland actually suspended its NCAA sports this week, at least temporarily, following a 46-case spike in uh, cases in their athletic department uh, over the last week. Uh, on October, according to a press release from them, on October 31st and September 1st, the University Health Center con- con- uh, conducted 
screening for 501 student athletes. A total of 46 student athletes have tested positive, affecting 10 different teams in the uh, the Maryland Athletics uh, Association. So, uh, man, like college is one of those situations where it can really spread in a hurry if you if you have some of these situations. Obviously, you know we we've seen places like uh, Alabama. Um, the University of Alabama suffers some some pretty large spikes, but it's affecting more than just football. Like, we, you know, we're, we're thinking about football a lot because I think it's by far the most popular sport uh, when it comes to the college, particularly in the fall. But it's affecting other teams, too. Uh, there's, you know, this is the time of year, for instance, when you get a lot of people doing uh, track and field and soccer and other things. So, uh, man, it's a real dangerous situation if you are a uh, an athletics director in uh, the NCAA Division One right now. I, I would assume, and I guess you would know better than I do, that that our local uh, colleges have mostly shut their athletics departments down. Yeah. Uh, for for this, I can't imagine Franklin Pierce, for instance, wanting to uh, to have its its football team going, given the the expense of just testing everybody at this point. Yeah, I mean they're not having competitions, but they're still, from what I understand, practicing and stuff like that. Yeah. I, well, I would imagine they'd want to maintain the continuity of, you know, keeping some of those players and whatever the coach's uh, philosophy and system is. I thought I it would be fun if they if they just split the team into two different squads and just had the squads play like a mini season against each other. Yeah, for just I was bragging say, I wouldn't rights. Be surprised but... to have them scrimmage against each other, you know, a lot. But yeah, I would imagine a lot of the inter the inter schools teams has. has is just not at all appealing right but, now. But without the, uh, the pro, the, I guess the, uh, without the tailgating, because apparently they make quite a bit of money off the tailgating because they charge a premium price for those spots for them to be really? up there. Yeah, which I was really surprised hearing. Um, without that, I, I guess the, the college just didn't really want to deal with it at all, period. So they're not even doing the, like those skirmish games, really. Hmm. Which I, I I think is a missed opportunity. Honestly, might not be a season, but it's still bragging rights with the with the players, and usually that will motivate them more than anything else. Right. Give them a nice night out or something like that. Well, I guess you can't even do that. Jeez, what prize would you give them? <laughs> I don't know. This golden jersey. I don't. I don't know what you'd even give them at this point. I don't know. Like one of the weird things about division, they're division two or division three. They're division uh, two, two, right? I want to say. Yeah. yeah. So they do still have, um, you know, athletic scholarships that they need to be concerned with. And mm-hmm. that means that they are subject to the NCAA rules regarding things like gifts. So, man, I don't know what you do in that particular circumstance. I guess you do what they're doing, which is try to maintain as much continuity as you can. I mean, I would they weren't hope... a great team last year, but I can no. understand them having being frustrated trying to carry any continuity between their first season and their second. I mean, uh, a good goal for them would be to have their opponents not score more than 30 points in a game against them that would be that'd be a start that that would be that would be good yeah i agree um but yeah and i would hope that during this time like this like that they would uh ease up some of those rules so like if they did do the skirmishes and they they get a prize from the college itself for you know winning because that was the incentive that they wouldn't turn around and be like, oh, wait, you, you just broke the rules and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, all the I rules are broke this year. I have zero in the NCAA not to do something <laughs> stupid like True, that. But... but I agree with you. All right, uh, last bit of news that I wanted to talk about is a, is an odd situation. So the English Premier League abruptly terminated a major contract with a Chinese streaming video service. 
Uh, the service is named PPTV and apparently was paying the English Premier League $650 million yes. to broadcast its sport uh, in the country. Um, I had originally thought it was going to be a situation where they had had some sort of a they basically had some sort of a, a situation like the NBA had where they had spoken out against the activities of the Chinese in Hong Kong. But no, this appears to be pretty much entirely because PPTV did not get the agreed upon number of games to be able to broadcast over their service owing to COVID. Um, according to uh-huh. the Daily Mail, PPTV withheld a £160 million payment. Uh, it could be equivalent to $213 million uh, for coverage of the 2019-2020 season. Um, in part because they they were not able to get the the games broadcast that they had originally contracted for, so uh, man, that's an odd situation. I, you know, the, obviously, we've talked about one of the reasons that you are seeing sports come back without fans is that there are a lot of financial obligations that these leagues have. I was surprised that you know the English Premier League wasn't able to work out some sort of deal with uh, with PPTV regarding the fact that they weren't playing. You know, obviously. Back in March, even China was still having major issues with uh, things being shut down for COVID. So, sort of a, an odd situation, and one of the few instances I've seen instances I've seen where a league has lost a major amount of money because of their inability to, you know, to put games on. I, I'm wondering if this is going to be a, a thing next season too, because a lot of these leagues are now. You know, they're looking at start, you know, if you're hockey and basketball, for instance, you're looking at starting up your leagues in a situation where there probably will not be a vaccine readily available at that time. Will you also have problems, you know, meeting your numbers of games requirements with some of these contracts going forward? Now, I know in the cases of your national broadcasters like, you know, ESPN or TNT or in the case of the NHL, NBC Sports, they're going to be a little bit more able to handle a an interruption. But if you're a regional sports network, if you're, you know, an NBC Sports Boston or you're Nesson, like that is your lifeblood that's just not going to be available at the times you normally would expect. I'm wondering whether or not that's going to be a problem next season too. Depends on how, what the state of things is. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest problem is we still have no answers when it comes to this stuff. It's been mm. seven months, right. basically, since we first got the indications that COVID was going to be a thing. And we know slightly more than we did then. Well, I mean, they've been told to be ready for a vaccine on November 1st. Yeah, I have my doubts that there's going to be anything that's significantly ready at that time. Apparently, apparently Russia's hope... got a cure. Did you, did you read that? that story? Russia's got a cure. <laughs> yeah. Russia said, has said they have had a cure a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I think when it comes to thinking about next year, it's a it's way too far out to be thinking about that stuff. I also think it's a little silly that like companies are are ticked off that they're not getting the number of games that they were contracted for, and both sides should just like ease up and be like, okay, here's. We'll refund the money that for the number of games that we're not going to be able to make up. You know, mm-hmm. if if you're contracted for twelve and you got ten, you know, give back the money for the two. Like, I guess I think both sides should I mean, stop being stupid and pigheaded and money grubbing and anything. And also, I don't really care. It's a Chinese company; they can all go to hell. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I don't really care about the Chinese companies. 
so they're not communists anymore and they're not treating their people like you know slaves and everything then they don't worry about china as a company fair enough all right uh that'll do it for this week this has been the unqualified sports show you can follow the show online at unqualifiednetworks.com you can follow the show on twitter at unqualified net you can follow me on twitter at nsnitko that is n-s-n-i-t-k-o you can follow forest on twitter at forest james uh, that's with two R's, folks. I'm not sure that I've made that clear in the past. If you have a story that you'd like to share with the show or you'd like to provide us with some feedback, feel free to drop us a line at unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com, and we'll see you again soon.